0: At Mulya Foundation, we strive to e-inform, educate, and empower citizens to help them achieve their true merit, or as we call it, their true Mulya. The PolicyCon podcast series will address information asymmetry in public affairs and will take you through a journey to emerge as leaders in the digital era. Let us experience this together and learn something new today.
1: Growing up in India, private tutoring is considered as an essential part of the education process. Initially, it began as an additment to school teaching, wherein on a daily or weekly basis, the same concepts that were taught in school were revised in private coaching. In time, the name and business of these private tuitions developed rapidly, where it began to set up infrastructure. It started working parallel to the formal school institution where they conducted competitive tests, made their own set of books, and even created the same hierarchy as a normal school. In short, private tuitions became an entirely prominent business sector, generating millions in revenue. Though private tuition is prevalent at all levels, it is predominant at the 10th grade and 12th grade, because performance in these examinations are an important aspect to meet increased competition for entering into desired academic streams and job prospects. The major selling point of these private tuitions is the stamp of personal attention, which the parents believe is lacking in the formal education. Of course, this is not just India. The same system is prevalent in other countries as well. On July 24, 2021, China passed a series of regulations targeting its $120 billion education tech sector banning companies that teach the school curriculum from making profits, raising capital, or even going public. One of the biggest control points mentioned in the regulations is a restriction of foreign investment towards these companies. This means that companies can no longer teach school subjects with a for-profit motive. According to a document circulated by China's state cabinet, this move means that all institutions be registered as non-profit. In this episode of PolicyCon, we are going to be exploring the history of private tutorship in China, why are these regulations passed this year, and what will be their implications. It is first imperative to understand that China's economic GDP growth and development played a big role in the demand for private tutorship their open door policy and shift to market orientation generated huge economic growth with their per capita gdp rising from 300 us dollars in 1978 to 8000 dollars in 2019 china's launch of one child policy in 1979 contributed to the rise of quote priceless child stop quote on whom hopes and aspirations were bestowed. Thus, boosting the demand for private tutorship. It is a national college entrance examination, commonly known as a Gaokao in China, that raises the stakes for private tutorship. Gaokao is one of the most influential exams in China, and the marks obtained through it decides the faith of the students for admission in their desired universities. A research paper by Wei Zhang and Mark Bray highlights that private tutorship or as they call it, shadow education in China is developed over four stages. The Stage one was during the 1980s, where it was mostly the teachers and the college students providing these tuitions either paid or free of charge. Even the Gaokao preparation was part of the school curriculum itself. However, It was in the 1990s where paid tutorship for these examinations germinated. The 1990s also witnessed rapid industrialization which skyrocketed China's economy and families had more financial means to purchase these tutoring services. Unlike the previous decade, shadow education grew beyond schools and colleges to form a third learning space. These tutoring services served both low and high achievers from both urban and rural areas. These tutoring focus primarily on Zhongkao and Gaokao examinations and for demanding Olympiad contests, particularly in mathematics, science, and English. A report from study load provided an example from Tianjin, a major port city in northeastern China. Among 472 students sampled from five primary schools, 67% received tutoring, and among them, 92% did so for the entrance in lower secondary-key schools. It is important to note that many tutoring companies birthed during this period. <laughs> Fun fact, most of the early companies had ties to public institutions. For example, New Oriental, the second largest tutoring company in China, was founded by Peking University teacher in 1993. Stage 2 witnessed the capitalization of China's tutoring industry in the new millennium. Their expansion and exponential growth of the tutoring market attracted the attention of international investors. With hopes to profit from the financial market, venture capital and private equities introduced millions worth of capital to large tutoring companies, the leaders of which became tutoring tycoons. China's Ministry of Education released several regulations reducing the heavy study burden on students. These regulations shortened official school hours and, of course, increased the anxieties among some parents who then, in the end, arranged tutoring to compensate. This partnership between the universities and companies that we saw in Stage 1 was intensified in Stage 2. Schools collaborated by moving tutoring classes from their schools to partner companies. With the aim of building independent structure, just like the universities, major institutions obtained textbooks, teaching materials, homework assignments, and examination papers from the mainstream schools. Stage three was the expansion of these independent tutoring institutions, which is no longer just an additment, but now a replacement to the former institutions. There was now a long hierarchy with specific tasks at each level where the division of labor deepened. Now you had content developers, marketing and branding teams, and even different categories of tutors emerged, including leading tutors, assistant tutors, and tutor researchers. Rapid development of education technology made online tutoring more attractive. But of course, traditional tutoring also continued to expand. This expansion led to more than 20 listed Chinese tutoring companies on stock markets in mainland China, Hong Kong, and even United States. Stage 4, which is still relatively new, witnessed shadow education being pushed further into the online space, primarily due to a COVID-19 pandemic. There was a new standard of competition among tutor companies with the aim to attract consumers. Accessibility and affordability increased facilitating massifications of shadow education Companies that succeeded in this competition experienced huge benefits. A study by the key laboratory of big data mining and knowledge management showed that the value of kindergarten to grade 12 online education consumer market grew from 1.2 billion US dollars in 2013 to 12.8 billion US dollars in 2020. While the institutions that have already violated the rules are busy implementing the corrective actions, The rest of the world were exploring. Why was such a drastic measure taken? Of course, the government claims this move comes from a moral standpoint. In March 2021, Chinese President Xi Jinping called the disorder in the tutoring industry "quote a stubborn malady." End quote. China's Ministry of Education posted that the out-of-school education industry has been severely hijacked by capital that broke the nature of education as welfare. But of course. We know there is more than what meets the eye. The history of private tutorship highlights that every time the Chinese government announced revolutionary development in its child policies, which is one of the world's strictest family planning regulations, a regulation on private tutorship was announced in the same year. For instance, in 2015, the government stated that schools and teachers are prohibited from providing private tutoring. Unfortunately. These regulations increased uncertainties and anxieties among parents and created more demand in tutoring companies for what had been cut from the schools. It was in the same year that China had announced a relaxation to its one-child policy, allowing couples to have children as concerns mounted over an aging workforce and economic stagnation. China did make amendments to its child policies, around which no regulations were actioned towards private tutorship. But to be fair, their amendments were either minute or it was in the 1980s, which was before the boom of the industry. Unfortunately, the 2016 amendment did not do much good as annual births continued to plummet. Beijing's National Bureau of Statistics stated that it had reached to a record low of 12 million in 2020. The figures revealed that China's fertility rate stood at one3 below the level needed to maintain a stable population. From the beginning of this year, the Chinese government have shown their concern to the booming private tutorship in the country, ultimately germinating parents' minds with concerns over the physical and mental health of their children and the ever-increasing competitive education system and job market. Companies like Yuanfudao, New Oriental and Tal Education seem to be benefiting from this. According to a survey of 4,000 parents by a state backed newspaper, more than 90% of families enroll their children in extracurricular classes, and more than half of respondents are spending $1,500 annually. In May 2021, when the government announced a three child policy, they knew that this regulation would be ineffective if the academic burdens and pressures on families continue to persist. Another survey from the same month revealed millennials in China were putting off having children to circumvent the financial burden. Thus, the regulation from July 2021 was passed to alleviate some of these problems. In just a week after the regulations were announced, stocks of prominent institutions dropped heavily. TAL Education Group dropped by 68%. New Orientals' Hong Kong shares dropped as much as 50.4%. Their lowest since his listing last year. Gaoto Tekedu stock price went from $143 in January 2021 to a low of $3 as of July 26, 2021. Just like any other government policy, this too received its fair share of criticism. Yuan Ying, CEO of a tutoring group, said that demand from parents existed before the industry emerged. He He continued, and I quote, If the market supply and demand can't be changed, parents' suppressed demand will have to find other channels sooner or later." End quote. One can understand the sentiments of Yuan Yang and other stakeholders in the private ownership sector. While it might seem their rejection is biased and obvious given their situation, but even parents for whom the regulations were supposed to be beneficial do not seem necessarily happy. After all, this is because new policies may risk further widening the wealth inequality. Wealthy people would be presented with two options. A. Hire private tutors or B. Send children abroad and pay higher tutoring fees. In either case, it will benefit the wealthy people and ultimately widen China's yawning wealth gap. Meanwhile, three in four children grow up in rural China where annual disposable income is just $2,600 while also facing significant barriers to education. Lenora Chu author of the book little soldiers which talks about her parenting journey within china's school system said and i quote after school tutoring was expensive but at least it was a solution now china has taken away an easy solution for parents without changing their problem south korea is a prominent example in this case because it has been on the same path as china in the 1980s President chun Du Huan declared war on the private tutoring sector by banning all extracurricular private lessons. His motivation was similar to that of Chinese government today. The idea was that the access to education should be fairer and there should be less financial burden on parents. The low birth rate is partly attributed to the fact that prospective parents worry about how to educate their offspring. As we saw earlier, this policy was not entirely effective. Parents who still managed to hire private tutors in secrecy did so and paid them huge sums of money. In fact, many did choose to shift to private tutorship at the time, considering the income paid by wealthy families. This, in turn, would widen the pay gap even more between the families who managed to hire private tutorships and the ones who could not. The ban lasted barely for 10 years, after which, the government chose a different approach. Instead of banning the sector altogether, it announced various regulations with regards to various parts of the private tutorship. For example, setting a limit in how many hours should a student engage on daily basis or how much can the company charge the parents for its services. In conclusion, the South Korean government was forced to acknowledge that a ban on private tutorship was not the answer. Koreans, or for that matter any rational parent, will continue to To spend considerably on their child's education, birth rates remain low because of financial constraints. I do agree that for profit institutions have broken the nature of education as welfare. That being said, only time will tell if China's decision will prove beneficial or would it be in the same shoes as South Korea, where for the years to come, the government will just have to undo and redo these regulations.
0: That is it, folks. If you have any questions, comments or concerns, feel free to reach out to us at hello at the rate You can also reach out to us on Instagram and LinkedIn or join Mulya WhatsApp community. If you liked the content, please check out our other initiatives at mulefoundation.org. Thank you for staying with us till the end. And as we always say, let the learning begin.